Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, faith and journalism. So we're in a moment, a political moment, where what we believe has become sort of forefront. And we're seeing that this week as the impeachment debate winds down and the voting begins. And it sort of got us wondering, what do we believe as journalists? And that itself is sort of in question now. Do we believe in facts as much as we did? Do we believe in truth? Do we believe in objectivity? What do we believe? And how do our own belief systems influence that? So the background of this is when we started thinking about a series that we would run on CGR, which now is running this week, um, we had a meeting with all the staff of the review. I kicked it off by saying, look, I go to church. I'm a Christian. I have a set of beliefs. But my sense of it is that that's fairly rare in journalism. And I was curious what other people brought to that conversation. And I was surprised at the number of people on the CGR staff who raised their hands and said, yeah, that's not that unusual. I do that, too. And it began this really robust conversation, which sort of surprised me. And it got me wondering sort of how does this influence the kind of journalism that we do and that w- that we read. So I'm really happy to be here today and to be joined by Ari Goldman, who's a colleague at Columbia, former New York Times religion writer. He wrote a book in, was it? 2007, Being Jewish? Yes. He's written four books. He also wrote a book in 2006, a memoir called A Year in Kaddish, about spending a year mourning his father. We'll talk to Ari in a second. McKay Coppins is here, staff writer for The Atlantic since 2016, correct? Uh, Early 2017. Early 2017. And was at BuzzFeed before that. And Aisha Khan, who covers U.S. Muslims and millennial spirituality for the Religion News Service and has a newsletter called Creeping Sharia, which focuses on Muslims in the U.S. Aisha, welcome. Thanks for having me. So since you're in the room, Ari, let's start with you. Well, first, are are you surprised by this little straw poll that we had at the CJR office down the hall from yours? Yeah, I'm going to challenge you on that because my experience is different. Um, So I was a reporter at the New York Times covering transportation. And I would go to my desk in the morning and everyone would stop by and say, you won't believe what I saw on the subway this morning. Or an editor would come and say, I couldn't get a taxi. Or got to do something about the potholes. Everyone had a story for me when I was a transit reporter. Then I became a religion writer. Nobody got near me. Uh Nobody nobody said anything. I I was like, like like a leper. I didn't know what I like. And I thought, why don't people come up and say, you won't believe what my pastor said in church? Yeah. You know, or talk about r- religious practice or ritual. So I found newsrooms to be pretty divorced from religion. Right. At least in a way that people would admit it. Um, what I did find is that in more personal, private moments, people would come over. Uh-huh. So someone would, would be having a crisis or someone's, you know, father was sick or someone you know, was looking to to move and needed a school, people would come to me more almost like I was the pastor of the newsroom, Uh and I'm not even a Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Let me, let's just, I mean, we don't know what the numbers are, right? We don't, I don't have a poll in front of me that tells me how how many journalists are people of faith, but certainly the the conventional wisdom is as you described, which is it's not on the radar for a lot of people in this business. Do you think that that's contributed to this sense that we've heard a lot about since 2016? that most newsrooms aren't writing about the stuff that people really care about? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So if I could jump right into that, 2016, 
Dean Baquet said one of the, our mistakes, we didn't cover religion mm-hmm. well in 2016. And I think that's one of the reasons why we thought Hillary was going to win. We didn't realize the power of the church and, and its support for Trump mm-hmm. because we weren't in the churches. Mm-hmm. And I think um, we did a pretty bad job in part because we didn't cover religion. Yeah. You, you consider yourself a religious person? Yes. How do you think that that's affected you as a journalist in terms of the kind of stories that you do or the way that you approach stories? Can you draw a line from one to the other? Oh, yeah. 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 So I, I, I could give many examples, but I'll just say I grew out of an Orthodox Jewish tradition, and I was raised in that, and I, um, I'm a practicing um, observant Jew today, and that really shapes how I do journalism. Um, I'll just give you one example is I studied Talmud, so this great body of, of Jewish law and practice. And the Talmud always has many points of view. It never has one point of view. There's this rabbi and that rabbi. And this, the minority view is always there. They're always, the rabbis are always arguing. This was written 1,500 years ago. Um, but it's a model for me of having a, a discussion with a lot of different points of view. And I think it's one of the reasons that I became a journalist and that I love journalism is it just entertains different points of view. And you don't necessarily have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. So let, let me t- let me go to McKay. McKay, your own religious beliefs and how it affects your coverage became a, a conversation when you were covering Mitt Romney and you know how how much your expertise about about that community, about the Mormon community, and what you sort of brought to that coverage that was different, sort of drew attention to your coverage. Was that something that you sort of leaned into, or was it awkward? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I immediately, as you were talking, flashed back to my first job interview with Ben Smith, who was uh, then just starting as the editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed and wanted to kind of build this news team on top of the viral content uh, that BuzzFeed was famous for. And he interviewed me. I was one of the first four reporters he hired. And uh, <laughs> I remember we met at like Grand Central Station in the Oyster Bar there. And he, <laughs> in ways that probably would not have passed uh, passed an HR test, but I think he was new to all of this, kept, you know, quizzing me about my faith and <laughs> and how um, how active I was in, in uh, Mormonism in the Latter-day Saint faith. And and then he said, you know, just to be clear, you being a Mormon is a huge plus in my eyes, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I appreciated his bluntness. But it, it was, you know, Mitt Romney was the likely nominee at that point. This mm-hmm. was late in 2011. And he wanted me to lean into that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually felt kind of uncomfortable about it at first. Not, you know, not because of Ben. Ben was nothing but, you know, very gracious and sensitive about uh, religious issues and uh, but but it was more just, you know, I um, had grown up in a suburb of Boston as one of very few uh, Mormons in my uh, high school and had always kind of felt like, it, you know, <laughs> I, on the one hand, it was a thing that made me very different. On the other hand, it was also uh, a thing that, like, I didn't want to be seen as taking advantage of now that there was mm-hmm. this Mormon presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Ben's kind of encouragement, I did lean into it. And I found that I was a young reporter. I was I was not very experienced in covering presidential campaigns. And this was one area where I could add value. Right. right? And so I would 
write like explainers about basic things related to Mormonism and, and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, that that as they came up in the campaign. You, um, did a, you did a piece on Mormon underwear. Mormon underwear, a brief guide to Mormon underwear. Still, I think might, might mm-hmm. be the highest traffic piece I've ever written. Because <laughs> um, that was that it, was that was because um, Romney was wearing his shirt partially open. It was it, you. It was actually I think what happened was he was wearing a white shirt and he you could see where he was standing. The sun was shining through it, and you could see this un, his undershirt where that had kind of a looped, uh, uh, kind of a, a looped collar to it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it became this kind of moment of conversation. And, and you know, it was so mystical and, and kind of stigmatized and weird uh, the way people were talking about it. And as somebody in this church, like, it was so not <laughs> so normal to yeah. me. And so I wanted to try to bridge that gap. And, that, and so I wrote this piece. And it was, like, you know, a 900-word explainer. But I found that it, it was actually a really important moment for me because it was received so warmly and well by people who didn't know anything about it and genuinely were just curious. They just had a lot of questions, you yeah. know, and I, and I found that I could answer them. And it made me realize, like, oh, this is something I can I, I should lean into um, there. You know, if the very most basic function of journalism is to give information to the public that they don't otherwise have, I, I this is a role I can play. What do you make of this, the conversation that Ari and I sort of started off with, which was, which is essentially this taboo of religion in newsrooms? You've, you've been in newsrooms of various sizes. You know, I know that you were at Newsweek and then you were at BuzzFeed. Now that you're at the, at the Atlantic, especially as somebody who has written about your own religion in a fairly prominent way, do you find yourself in the same role that Ari described, which is the person that people sort of come to? Yeah. I identified a lot with what Ari was saying. I I would say two things. One is that, you know, newsrooms definitely at the national level are fairly secular places, in my experience, Mm -hmm. Um, from Newsweek to BuzzFeed to The Atlantic. That's not to say they're uniformly secular, but, you know, generally probably much more secular than the country is as a whole. That said, when I talk to reporters or meet with reporters and editors who work at local papers or news outlets, they seem it just this is anecdotal, but it seems like they're much more likely to have more experience with religion or church. Um, And and so that that's one thing. The other thing I will say, though, is that in all of my newsrooms, I've been very lucky with, you know, very few exceptions The the people I work with, even those who have very little experience with religion in their own lives, that they do kind of come at it from a uh, kind of liberal, open-minded approach, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I've never felt, or very rarely have I felt, you know, judged or scorned or anything for, for being a person of faith. If anything, I think people go out of their way to try to show try to show support for it because they know it's, like, fairly uncommon. Mm-hmm. And uh, they want to, A, kind of learn from me and from my experience, and B, kind of make sure I know that, you know, they have my back and, and if... If and when there are kind of inevitable unfair things written about, you know, my faith or sometimes me, they, they kind of stand up for me. And, and and that's always been something I've appreciated. Yeah. Aisha, so what, tell me what percentage of, of your work for Religion News Service is – are you focused solely on the, the U.S. Muslim community? Uh, I mean, almost entirely. I also have the privilege of being the – 
youngest person in the newsroom, which means I'm tossed, you know, all the all the briefs on any anything else no one else wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I end up covering a lot of stuff in New England where I'm based and um, anything else. But yeah, I mean, the Muslim community is kind of where it's my it's my own roots, it's my own community, and um, I'm kind of in tune with it in a way that no one else in my newsroom is. Um, and you know, it's second biggest religion in the world, so. Um, it, it, there's certainly a lot of ground to cover there. And how do you, how does that work? I mean, when you say that you're in tune with it more than anybody else in the newsroom, can you describe a little bit more about how that sort of expresses itself? Yeah, so when I first came on with RNOS, that was actually when I was an intern in J school. So I don't I don't have any experience in, you know, a, a sort of a mainstream national news outlet or any other beat really. Um, and I was speaking to some of the editors at the time and they were you know introducing me to all the other reporters and saying oh you know this person covers judaism this person covers the black church and you know i asked okay well who covers islam who covers hinduism who covers sikhism buddhism and they were like well you know we all just kind of pitch in when we can mm-hmm. that, that was kind of a little shocking for me so I, I pretty much immediately realized that there were some things that i just knew kind of inherently um, by virtue of growing up, did you grow um, up in a? Did you grow up in a religious family? I did, and mm-hmm. I still um, very pra- very practicing mm-hmm. um, and active in local Muslim communities. Mm-hmm. I mean, there. I think in politics, especially today, there's so many uh, policies, as well as you know, just issues regarding immigration, healthcare, economic issues, and these all touch virtually every single community in the United States. And uh, a lot of people are looking at this from a very, you know, top-down lens. But when you're part of a community um, that's, you know, and and you see folks within within that community, um, how they're responding to it, how they're reacting to it, then you kind of see how faith plays into that. So, you know, for example, I was really interested in environmental issues. And, you know, during Ramadan, I was able to see that, hey, there's a lot of Muslims around the country who are concerned during Ramadan about food waste. So this is a huge issue. Mosques around the country, you know, they just have tons of food that they're producing every night to feed people at the end of this full day of fasting, during the holy month of fasting. And, um, you know, at the end of the night, they just have this surplus of food and they're trying to figure out what to do with it. And now that's not really a story that you would know if you're not yeah. kind of embedded within these communities. And, you know, it's a small thing, but um, it really resonated with folks from all sorts of groups, whether they're secular institutions, but also a lot of folks from churches and synagogues reach out to me and said, hey, we have this same issue. Yeah. I mean, what's striking regarding the coverage of the Muslim community and Islam is it isn't like it's a fringe political issue at this moment in our politics, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is like president pretty much as soon as he came into the office has sort of made this a focus. And and yet you still see a sort of, you see, I mean, my, my it was really interesting what you said about like the editor's view of like, well, let's just round up whoever's available and have them mm-hmm. do this. Is it your sense that that's still the, the way that Muslims are covered in in most of the press that you see in the U.S.? Yeah, I definitely feel that Muslims are covered almost as like some sort of element of diversity, if you know what I mean, that they're covered as another ethnicity or nationality in some sense, um, as opposed to 
a group like Christians or Jews or any other faith group that is um, that shares some sort of personal conviction and belief, um, and it, you know has the same kind of legal protections in that sense. Um, and so, a lot of the coverage of this uh, of Muslims ends up being, you know, either about something regarding diversity, or it's covered kind of in a very political national security sense. And there's very little just kind of human interest storytelling that isn't very baseline. I'm very annoyed by the very basic coverage of Muslims that I see on a daily basis where, you know, it's like, oh, wow, this Muslim woman is breaking stereotypes by, you know, running, Mm -hmm. you know, as part of her local, um, like running meet or something, or like, oh, she's baking cookies. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's something, it's, it's just really it's really bizarre to me. Um, you would never see that about any other community. Yeah. So there, there's that. And then there, the, the last kind of category of common category of coverage of Muslims that I see is uh, explanatory. And I understand that that's, that's important, you know, as Kay was mentioning regarding Mormons, it, it's an element of service journalism to fill in the gaps of um, Americans' knowledge about these different communities that make up America. But when a news organization's coverage of Muslims is limited to what is Hajj, what is the hijab, mm-hmm. what is jihad, mm-hmm. like, no, it's not violent. Like, feels like they're doing Americans a disservice mm-hmm. by not, you know, going a little bit deeper. All right. I, I, I loved um, Aisha's example of the story about the, the um, extra food after, uh, the, after the fast. That is a story that just says... Muslims are like everyone else. They want to. They're worried about waste. They want to do social service. They want to be sure that that people are fed, taken care of. That things don't go to waste. It's not some. It's not making them into something exotic, but just saying they're like everyone else. And I think the more stories like that, it just sort of humanizes different religious groups that we don't have an understanding of. McKay, do you have a, I mean, I, I thought Aisha was pretty compelling on, as a, in a bit of media criticism, like, you know, sort of here's what we're missing here, the kind of stories that we're not doing. Have you, what mm-hmm. do you see? Well, you know, I feel like in general, faith is covered in mainstream outlets as it intersects with other newsworthy topics. So as it intersects with politics or international affairs or business or terrorism or whatever, right? And and to a certain extent, I understand that. That's what makes the religion beat newsworthy to the average reader. But I think the problem is that when journalists covering it don't have experience or knowledge of religious faith on a lived day-to-day basis, their coverage can sort of be distorted in a sense and, mm. and very one-dimensional and lacking in texture. So one example, because I'm primarily a political journalist, um, I see this a lot, is coverage of evangelical Christianity. It's covered so narrowly often um, as it focused on kind of conservative white evangelicals and their politics and uh, their lately their relationship to Donald Trump, right? And it, it, 
it leaves, I think, readers or audiences with an impression that evangelicalism is primarily a conservative political movement. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of this coverage doesn't account for, first of all, black and Latino evangelicals. It doesn't account for progressive evangelicals. But really, it doesn't account for evangelicalism as a force in people's lives on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what they read, what their church is like on Sunday— uh, what they're, what kind of sermons they hear, how it shapes the way they experience the small moments of daily life. And certainly I've seen that in Mormonism as well. You know, one thing, one recent example that comes to mind, and I, I hesitate to be too critical because, again, I understand how difficult these things are, especially if you're coming at it from an outside perspective. But, you know, uh, I guess it was in 2018, the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church, uh, Thomas S. Monson, passed away. And... The New York Times ran an obituary of him uh, that actually kind of became a little controversial and the, and the Times responded to it. But the entire framing of it was <laughs> that uh, it was like, you know, Thomas S. Monson, who failed to expand LGBTQ rights in the church and extend the priesthood to women, passes away at age whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, I certainly understand the reason to focus on those things and in the broader kind of national and international context those are very important stories and certainly within the church those are important stories but i I also kind of felt like and i wrote about this uh at the atlantic that you know a religious leader's biggest legacy in most cases is going to be his effect on members of his church or religious community right Mm -hmm. and if you ask the average member of his religious community what what do you remember him for? What was his effect on you? It just isn't going to be those political issues. Those are really important issues, and I, I think that it was right for the New York Times to highlight them as part of his legacy. But there are also a lot of other things uh, that he did for the church and did for you know Mormondom that just were completely unacknowledged and ignored by the Times obituary. And I think it was just a, a matter of not only the person who wrote it not having really that much experience or knowledge of Mormonism, but not having anyone in the newsroom that they could kind of run it by to see if it had any false notes or if it had any kind of gaping holes. It's almost like what we're talking about is is a tendency to make religion, I mean, is it, it, to turn it into some sort of controversy as opposed to writing about it as a part as a fabric of people's lives and as an important part of their belief system. I and mean, we've to me, I don't know why I think of this, but we've we've been reporting a lot on climate coverage. Um, Aisha brought it up earlier, but just in general on how newsrooms tend to sort of segment out climate coverage like we have we're going to write about everything else that's going on in the world and then we're going to write about climate, climate change and we're going to have a climate reporter do that. And it's made it very ineffective as opposed to sort of saying like you know what's going on with the climate is sort of integrated into all of our lives and into everything that we do there's something about journalism or at least about the way newsrooms are structured now that makes that kind of cross beat cross disciplinary thinking and reporting hard why do you think that is well i would just say one of the best religion stories in the last few days was um in the sports pages of the new york times there was a story about this little church right near um, where the Kobe Bryant helicopter went down. Yeah. And yeah. it was a profile of the pastor of the church of what happened that day. Mm. And, and it, was, it got into what a church means to a, a, a community, to a grieving community, to the um, first responders, to the families. And it was 
it was a beautiful story, and the Times didn't didn't say, "Oh, that's a religion story," or "That's right. you know, it, it didn't try to ghettoize it, and and it was just a, like a beautiful example of how it isn't just about what happens in church, what happens in a community. Aisha, do you have any thoughts about how newsrooms could better approach these stories and approach this community as, uh, in, in a more sort of holistic way? Well, I think what Ari's saying right now, I think it's important for reporters to have more Muslim voices within the Rolodex, you know, whether you are covering, you know, the world of business um, you know, you're reporting on startups or you're reporting on immigration or climate change, whatever it might be, to have more Muslim um, experts and sources. And they can occasionally, perhaps if the story requires it, bring in a little bit of discussion of how this impacts their families and their communities. Um, and I think just having those voices who can point you towards the impact that these stories have on different uh, marginalized people, I, th- I think that will naturally kind of change the way you approach your storytelling. So this is part of this sort of broader need to diversify both our source list and our <clears throat> and our staffs. Does it bother any of you that that you as a person who is a part of these communities becomes the sort of go-to person with questions on on these issues? I mean, it seems like it could get tiresome. <laughs> I, I would say not at all. And and just because I'm an observant Jew doesn't mean I know all about Judaism or everything about all religions. I think the the key here is that newsrooms have to have people who understand the depth of faith yeah. and that faith motivates people. And not faith isn't just a hobby people have, but it's something that that they often will build their lives around. It'll make a decision about who they marry and where they live and mm-hmm. what kind of medical care to get and and what kind of food to buy. I think hiring people of faith is important because they may not know everything about all religions, but they know the importance that this plays in people's lives. Mm. McKay, did I hear you laughing at that question? (laughs) Well, I I just was thinking about, specifically when I was covering the Romney campaign, um, I was the only uh, uh, Mormon on the kind of traveling press corps that covered Romney and followed him around the country on a day-to-day basis. And my nickname among the traveling press corps was the Mormon Wikipedia. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they would ask me every question that came up about Mormonism, and they would ask me for a very quick explainer because, you you know, how it is. They're all racing to meet deadlines and file instantly from the campaign trail. And when something would come up, they just need a really quick explanation. And so I was happy to fill that role. And uh, like Ari, I don't necessarily mind being the go-to guy on that stuff. Um, If anything, though, I guess I do sometimes worry that, you know, being the only Mormon voice, either among a traveling press corps or in a newsroom or whatever, I'm not doing the best job (laughs) um, in representing the kind of broad diversity of the Mormon experience because... Mm. My, my experience is my experience. And, you know, what my my perspective on a certain issue or a certain controversy within the church or a certain way of understanding uh, a Mormon belief or doctrine uh, is inherently limited. And, and, you know, it would be great if there were three or four people or even just one other person with a different perspective who could uh, kind of weigh in. But, you know, I, I understand that 
this is not it's not always a because these newsrooms don't want more, uh, you know, voices of faith in mm. the newsrooms. It's just it's a pipeline problem. A lot of the time it's a um, it, it's you know, there are systemic biases to go back to the beginning of this conversation. A lot of journalists just are not really active in advertising their faith mm-hmm. um, when they're. Uh, starting out in their careers, and uh, you know, obviously, you can't bake that into a, a to you know job interviews, right? You're not allowed to ask about people's uh, religious faith, so uh, so it does make it difficult, I think, to increase uh, the the diversity. But I think that more could certainly be done. Aisha, I would say that uh, I. I'm happy to be the point person. I'm happy to fill in gaps in knowledge. I would rather you asked me than you didn't, and we both regretted it. But um, I look forward to the day when I share this responsibility with many, many more people. Um, I, I look forward to the day where there are a lot more black Muslim journalists, when there are a lot more reporters um, in newsrooms who speak Arabic, who speak uh, Urdu, who speak different um, languages that you know Muslims around the world speak, who have contacts in mosques around the country. Um, when we have Shia reporters, because you know my, uh, like McKay saying, my experience is my experience. I, I don't speak all the languages. I don't know all the imams in the world. <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. Thank you all for your time. Thanks for coming. Um, You're welcome. You can read you. the series that we're running this week on CJR is called The Lord's Work, and it's running all week, and you can look at it at CJR.org and via social media. You can also follow what we're doing on our Media Today email newsletter, which is out every day. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Mm-hmm.